Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. Great guest today, Julie Towner, is on the show. She is the president and CEO of Towner Communications, which is a leading cloud-based phone and telecommunications innovation company in Kansas and Missouri. And I really love this story. She started out in the fashion industry. Now, that sounds more glamorous than it is, as she points out. She was really into the production side. She was always been fascinated by how things are made, how things are manufactured, the whole thing behind the scene, kind of the soup to nuts, how things are put together. She, she says her dream job would be to stay on a factory floor because she loves the whole kind of how the sausage is made, if you will, uh, when it comes to fashion and manufacturing. Again, she, she, she loves, she's an ops person at heart. She's an operations person at heart. And I really appreciate her story, how she got started and eventually became the CEO and president of this organization. She's an entrepreneur at heart, but she validates everything we talk about here on Dose of Leadership, particularly when we talk about creating cultures of decentralized communication or a decentralized leadership culture. And she's doing it. She's living it. She's proving it day by day that she's not the expert in everything. She doesn't pretend to be. You've heard me say this before on this show that I think a a job that you should always be striving for or, or what you should be striving for is to make yourself useless. And I'm using useless in air quotes, but it's to surround yourself with the experts, surround yourself with the people, create that vision, communicate that vision, maniacally communicate that vision and get out of the way. And she totally gets it and she lives by it. And again, she's a great example of everything we talk about here in Dose of Leadership in terms of that decentralized culture. I love her mentality, too, and her mindset. A couple things you will learn. She never says, I can't, to anything. She always asks the question, how can I? And again, I think that is a subtle but very powerful distinction that, that leaders must have. Instead of saying, I can't do this, I can't do that, how can I do this? How can I accomplish this? How can we accomplish this? Just a fascinating conversation that validates so many of the points that we talk about here in Dose of Leadership. So you will, if you're an entrepreneur, particularly if you're a, a, a professional woman looking to an entrepreneur. She's got that insight because she's a wife and a, a mother as well. Uh, just chock full of leadership and life nuggets in this one, and I, I couldn't have been more excited to have her on the show. This show is an Equity Bank-sponsored podcast. So excited to, and proud to have Equity Bank be a sponsor of some of these shows, particularly these special series shows. It's been fun to watch them and exciting to watch them grow. I've got to know them personally over the last two years, and they are a team that fully understands leadership. They are a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. They are now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas, and they've got plans for expansion and growth. Clearly, this team, I wholeheartedly believe that Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. And so if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands leadership, understands your needs, check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's join our conversation with Julie Towner, the president and CEO of Towner Communications here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Julie, good morning. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks for coming on the show. 
thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. You know, I was, you know, doing a little research this morning, getting up and, and looking at your background. I'm very interested in how someone who started out in the fashion industry ended up being an entrepreneur and a CEO of a communications company. So this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the dream then? Was the dream you were going to be this um, fashion designer? You got into fashion, obviously for a reason and spent a lot of time in it. Yeah. What yeah. was, the, what was the dream? Well, my, um, it's funny because, you know, people, people say fashion and all that kind of stuff. It makes me sound very glamorous. And I got into um, the industry because I liked how things were made. Right. So um, my, uh, the cliche, my passion really wasn't fashion. Um, <laughs> it was, it was how things were made and it was manufacturing and it was production. Um, and apparel was just easy to get into at the time. Um, there was a really great program at the university that I went to and I had some really, um, outstanding opportunities to, to travel abroad during my education. Um, so I was very, very lucky to get the opportunity to, um, become a production manager for Gap Inc down in Miami. Yeah. And what I did and still, I mean, this is, if I could go back to this and just live my entire life on a factory floor, as bizarre as it sounds, that's what I would do. Right. Um, yeah. And so I was in charge of getting the designs from, um, New York or San Francisco and re-engineering them and costing them and sourcing the fabrics and, and all of the hardware and details and, um, placing them in, uh, South America. I, I was in charge of the Americas and um, taking them from the R&D stage all the way to when they hit the distribution center. Um, and I loved it. I loved the process of how things were made. And even now, I, I'm i the nerd that watches the How It's Made show, <laughs> right? right? right. <laughs> <laughs> if it's anything in a factory and if it's how things are put together, I probably probably should have been some sort of engineer, but, uh, I, I don't enjoy math. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Um, and so I had the chance to travel the world and, um, most recently I did a lot of work in India and, and in China. And that was a wonderful experience, not just in how things are done, um, in factories, but culture and, um, you know, just, just being a more worldly person yeah, no, those no. experiences. I get it. I, I mean, when I got laid off from American, I was telling you earlier, mm -hmm. and one of my first jobs was in a manufacturing company. And at one point I became, they were, they started sourcing stuff from China and Mexico. And they asked me to start the international operations department, which sounds pretty heady, but it was just a team of one yeah. <laughs> at the time, but eventually it grew and we've started going to Mexico and China and I'm with you and watching the whole process from coming up with, you know, working with our own uh, design and marketing team and coming up with a concept and meeting with the buyers at, at the big box and coming up and, and then finding a factory to source it and developing the relationships. And then when it, and then, you know, purchasing uh, on, on a, 
you know, you're kind of betting that this is going to work. You got to start the manufacturing to meet the, the shipping deadlines and you mm-hmm. still don't have anything finally approved. And so you're kind of betting on risk. You know, you start producing on risk and it, I, I get it. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just amazing. Right. And there's always every morning there's a unique problem and there's something, you know, that happens. So I get it. And it's kind of fun to watch the whole process. I, I guess, what I'm hearing you say, and I'm kind of with you, I'm, you're, you're kind of an operations person at heart, right? I'm, I'm with yeah. you on that. I've done it. I, I get that completely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we used to we used to talk about how our job was literally putting out fires. Yeah, I get you know? it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that's what we did. And it's interesting that I, um, when I first moved to Kansas City, I, I worked for a company here for a very short time and they hired me for my production experience. And, um, you know, I, I tried to bring all these lessons to them and it, as simple as, you know, how we, how we were shipping these, you know, little toys. Yep. And I said, you know, they have, they have to be in packages. They have, you can't just throw them in boxes. You know, it's going to get wet. No, no, we've never had that happen. And I said, okay, well, you know, I lost millions of dollars worth of jeans during Hurricane Katrina, but whatever, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and it was it was ironic that uh, that shipment actually the shipment of these toys actually came in and there had been an accident um, in in shipping and all of the things were were wet. So nobody nobody ever listens to me. <laughs> <laughs> So they lost several several million dollars worth of product oh, as well, man. but you know, didn't want to say I told you so. Yeah, I can't. I'm just thinking about you bringing up all these kind of stories, these kind of that time were nightmares. I remember w- uh, waking up one morning, my time I had BlackBerry, right? This is I'm mm-hmm. dating myself, but it was just you know blown up with all these emails from China, and like, man, we got a major issue, and and. Anyway, they made, and it, literally the stuff was already on the boat, and they made it the wrong color, oh. and it was basically, you know, two containers worth of the wrong color, mm-hmm. literally on a slow boat from China, already on the yep. water, and I'm like, how did this happen? And you started investigating, and this and that, and looking at our own processes, and how the purchase order went out, and there was a gap in, internally where the designers, you know originally the spec sheet said it was going to be yellow or whatever color it was. The Mm -hmm. Walmart buyer said, Hey, I love it, but I want it red. And you know, and then our spec sheet never got updated. And so the designers updated it, but then the purchasing, the procurement piece inside the business, they used the old spec sheets, sent it to China and no one's overseeing it. And so, yeah, I was fixing stuff like that, you know, making processes and. Well, and and it's interesting. So I, um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and like I said, I, I lived a lot of places. Um, so I was never really exposed in my adult life, exposed to that, um, mid Midwest nice. Right. Right. So in Miami, we had a very specific culture and that is, how we communicated with our vendors and with our partners. And there was, you know, it it was just, it was the culture and it was how we, how we could articulate the, the information in the best way to where they understood it. And it's kind of, I mean, it has everything to do with being a leader, right? So you communicate to your team differently, depending on who they are and how they absorb information. Um, 
so when I came back here and I worked for that company, um, I was communicating with the vendors exactly because I had worked with some of these vendors before. I was communicating with them the way that I communicated with them before. And my boss, who didn't have any production experience, she said, you know, you need to not, you need to ask them how they are and you need to be concerned <laughs> oh about their lives. And yeah. you need to, you know, please don't put anything in caps. Don't bold anything, you know, maybe write in paragraphs and not bullet points. And I was like, that is not how these, <laughs> that right. is, <laughs> that is not how it's done. I'm not being rude. I'm being very specific because there's a language barrier, one, and that's we're the only people that communicate that nicely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. So uh so that's been interesting too. And and that still remains one of my struggles because I'm very to the point. I'm, you know, don't give me the fluff when you're when you're giving me information. You know, if you're just sending off an email to say hi, that's fine. But uh, just tell me what I need to know, and I'll get it done, right? Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up. I, I get. I mean, you just bring you you're you're raising up a lot of <laughs> memories. But I, I particularly in dealing with China, did a lot of stuff with China and Mexico too. Mexico yep. was 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 a lot easier. China was so literal and mm-hmm. to the point. I mean, there's. There's some of the famous stories, you know, that you send them the prototype and has a crack in it and they make it with the crack in it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's so true. And probably my, my, the story that I was just thinking of that in the, that you'll probably relate to this. And it was very, I, and you're right, when you travel and you go to these places and these factories and this and that, you, I mean, it opens up your, your eyes to a whole different mindset and what, how the world works. Yeah. And, I'll try to make this as brief as possible, but I know that you're going to, you're going to appreciate this story, but there was some, we had to deal with Costco and you know how Costco is mm-hmm. these big box box companies. Costco wanted you to make products to where that the packaging, when they got the box in the store, they just wanted to cut on the outside and lift it up and it was already displayed, right? They didn't want to set anything up. And, yep. and they, we had these, these really large wind chimes and they were like three feet tall, these wind chimes, right? They're huge. And they had like, um, I think six in a box and the box was probably four feet, five feet high and square. And Mm -hmm. you had to print on what they call a a white, I didn't know the difference here, but white KLA box and a white KLA box is like a white waxy cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. Really stiff and and the artwork's printed. And so they, you cut on these lines at the bottom of the base and then they just, the wind chimes are all sitting there and you just stick it up there. Well, so we is a huge order. I mean, a real success story with Costco. I mean, millions of dollars worth of product. And everything was going like gangbusters and this and that. And um, woke up one morning, my Blackberry's blown up. We got an issue. Costco's rejecting the order at the dock. <sighs> and I'm like, why? And it's because the packaging's all wrong. And like, it's, you know, it's it's supposed to be on a white KLA box. And mm-hmm. you got it on a brown RSE box, and brown RSE is just brown cardboard. And I'm like, okay, what's the difference? I don't know what the difference of that is. And they're like, you know. And so anyway, I looked at the spec sheet, and uh, I I had instituted a process where people, each department, I, I the spec sheet has 180 variables on it, items on it. Yeah. And I had each department sign off before I sent the spec sheet out, you know. 
And I looked at the spec sheet for the purchase order, and there was a little in the graphics department. It said Brown RSC box in the checkbox, and I'm like, oh. And my graphics department had signed off on it. Mm-hmm. So when she came in in the morning, I said, "Hey, we got an issue. Um, Costco's rejecting the order. They said it's supposed to be in a white K- KLA." She's like, "Yeah, that's that. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows mm-hmm. it's supposed to." Be. I'm like, "Well, but you, here's the spec sheet that you signed off on. It says brown RSC box." And she's like, "Oh, well, that's no big deal." And I said, "Well, <laughs> <laughs> apparently it is." She goes, "Oh, that." She goes, "That stupid factory," and she's bad mouth the factory. I'm like, "You signed off on." A brown RSC box. Yeah. So I go to China. You know, f- I'm in China 36 hours later. Mm-hmm. And I walk on that factory floor. And these factories are like dormitories. Like families live there, right? And it's like they feed them, they educate their kids, and they live in this factory. Mm-hmm. And the foreman, that my tra- translator's down there, and we're on the floor. And he's looking at me like he wants to kill me. And he's obviously talking. He's he's mad at me. And I'm like, what's he saying? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. And I said, no, I want to know. <laughs> and by the way, in this factory floor, on the factory floor, there's a mountain of brown RSC cardboard and new printing. on a, They're swapping it out, right? Yeah. And there's just a, a mountain and all hands on deck changing it. And he goes, he just wants to let you know he that how disrupting this has been. And that he woke up the entire factory, women and kids, mm-hmm. and went down to the dock in the rain on those one, and they swapped them out on the dock, and they're swapping this out now. And I felt like so, so I mean, I felt horrible. Yeah. And I went back, and I don't care if you're a philanthropist or not, but if that doesn't bother you on some level, you know what I mean? Because your, yeah. lack, your lack of attention to detail on an eight and a half, 11 sheet of paper, because someone missed mark the check mark the lives that were impacted because of that mistake and that that's never left me anyway that was a long story but i wanted to to, to i know you would appreciate that that story oh yeah absolutely i mean we we had things like that happen uh when i worked for the company here in kansas city and it, you know we i had i cannot say enough about gap inc and how they molded me as one, a a team member and two, a leader, because it, I mean, it was phenomenal and I didn't, I had no idea it was happening at the time, but, (laughs) but I I was, I was oblivious to (laughs) the, the brainwashing that they were doing to me. That's probably a bad word, but, um, you know, I was, it was my first job out of college. I was 21 years old Wow! and it was my responsibility to place production correctly. And that meant, you know, livelihoods to some of these cities and some of these little villages that, you know, uh, that the factories were in, because if they didn't get that order from gap, that city could shut down. Yeah. You know, and people don't realize what a, what a responsibility that is, Yeah, you know, and, and how the decisions we make in our nice little air conditioned offices with our Starbucks coffee and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, while we're texting whoever and sending memes, we don't realize that those decisions that we make have a huge impact 
on a huge group of people somewhere else, right? Yeah, it's so. It, I I love how you said that because it's so true. And I mean, that was kind of the experience that I got from you're like, wow, we are affecting light, and if we don't have our, you know, crap in a sock, you know, and it's all exactly. buttoned up tight, then then we're, you know, and it's right. And I just and I just remember the flippancy of the people in the in the office, They're like, oh, come on, you know stupid yeah. factory they need they know better I'm like wait a second <laughs> you know we have to treat this like and you know you you we were talking earlier before the recording we were talking about how your your friend and colleague came mm-hmm. from the military and he says and you made a comment that that this isn't life and death i think that we ought to look at business like life and death i wish more people would look at because we do have lives at stake whatever our business is right mm-hmm. i mean you've got how many people in 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 your your company now as i said you got lives at stake and it's not just the lives that are people that are working there it's the families extended to that right so if you got 100 employees yep. there's there's 200 250 300 lives at stake because of 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 your business decisions you make and i i think sometimes people don't look at it that way enough right i think you sh- i think we should Yeah. Well, and that's why I think it's very important um, to have to be a very transparent leader. Yeah. And sometimes that gets you in trouble (laughs) because (laughs) sometimes your team doesn't understand um, things the way you understand them. So that's, you know, then you have an obligation to educate them, especially around, you know, the financials of the business. But it is very true. And I've had, these conversations with some of my customers and we're B2B, right? But, you know, I've actually said to some of my customers, you know, by you not paying for the services that we rendered, you know, I have two little boys that can't go to karate. Right. (laughs) You know, or, (laughs) you know, I have a little girl who can't take dance class because, you're not paying your bills or because you didn't hold up to your end of the contract. And, um, so it, it very much is, it, it really is life or death. It is. And I think the transparency thing, you hit it on the head. I, I wish I've said this on the show many times that the currencies that are lacking and so needed are transparency, authenticity, and courage, you know, things yeah. that we kind of as human beings kind of suck at, you know, for whatever, yeah. for whatever reasons. And the transparency piece in business is always, Surprising, particularly in crisis situations, which is apropos for the world mm-hmm. we live in now. Yeah, is that we feel? I've seen this a handful of times when there have been kind of mini crises in the organizations, and there's there's this kind of hunker down mentality, and like, what are we going to communicate to the folks? Now, I know there's, you know, you don't, you can't share everything because of legal reasons or or whatever, or things in the works, and things aren't finalized, and contracts aren't settled yet. But I do think the more trans, the, the absolute, you know, the maximum extent possible, share as much as you can, because if you don't, and you feel like you try, it's kind of like the the media you're trying to spin it, you know, and then yeah. people can see through that, and particularly in a crisis, if you don't share with them the bad news, in mm-hmm. an authentic, transparent way, they're going to fill those gaps with something. And those whatever they fill those gaps with is usually worse than what the truth is. I found. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've said that exact same thing to my team and, you know, I, I would rather tell you the true story than have you guys make up the story. Right. (laughs) Um, and I I think that it's a very old school, uh, mindset of holding everything close to 
all the information close to the owner's vest yeah. or, or the CEO's vest. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, financials, I, our people know how to read a PL. you know, now are they reading it? Sometimes they're, uh, they might misread it, but it, it's important for me to show that we're, we're a healthy company and this is what we need to be a healthy company. And I need you to perform and I need you to act like an owner or like a CEO. Um, and you're in charge of this piece or you're in charge of that piece. And it's made a huge difference. Yeah. I love now, like, go ahead. Like I said, some of that transparency, it, it's a double-edged sword because if they don't know how to interpret the information that you're giving them, you know, we had, we had one guy and this was before we started educating that I was like, Oh, you know, our, our profits are up. And he said, Oh, well, does that mean we all get raises? (laughs) (laughs) No, that means we can pay our bills and we can make investments. And if raises come, they come, but you know, just because we're doing really well right now, doesn't mean we need to go out and, you know, spend all our money on Lamborghinis and, you know, live, (laughs) live the high life. (laughs) That's not how it works. Um, but I think in, in order to be a leader that is trusted, being open and honest in good times and in bad times, I think is, uh, is extremely important. Yeah. It's almost embarrassing to think that why, of course, you know, everyone's going to say yes to that, but you know, the reality is when it, when the rubber meets the road, sometimes we don't, we hold it to the chest. And I think sometimes when particularly in crisis, people hold it to the chest because I think it, like you said, it's an outdated, antiquated mindset. It's like, oh well, they're not smart enough to know or, or handle this. You know, if I show my P and L, then they're gonna assume that we're because you know people don't understand. Like, even though we, this is how much money we brought in. At the end of the day, it's about you know what was the margin, right, and how much was yeah. left over, and and the, and and the importance of cash flow. You know, and and even though you know you may be profitable, but our cash flow is hurting right now. That that's that's devastating. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's all kinds of things, but it takes effort to educate people. And but I think the payoff is huge because you get people enlisted in, like you said, getting people to think and act like owners, and to act like CEOs, to act like leaders. Yeah when they realize that, Hey, you know, this is where we're at. I mean, we basically broke even, you know, we don't have any extra cat or cash flow is tight. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to, we need to come up with ways to save cash flow. Cause, and here's what's happened if we, we don't fix this cash flow problem. Right. And let's lay it on the line. Um, that's when you start getting, yeah. that's when you start getting some of the, the, the solutions from the, from the middle and below. And if you don't share that, if you're not transparent, exactly. you're, you're never going to get it, you know? feel like sometimes we think well, of CEOs and, you that know, we go ahead. I'm no, sorry. well, it, it, you know, it's also a, a great way to hold leadership accountable. Absolutely. You know, um, they, they, they can trust me because they know I'm not doing anything crazy. You know, <laughs> they, <laughs> right. they, they know that I have their best interests um, at heart. And the way I've, I've always looked at it is that these these people who are on my team have signed up to support my dream. You know, yeah. they, they think they have so much invested in me that they're like, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're going to sign up. We're going to support Julie and we're going to make this happen for her. So 
that's why I think it's important to be a servant leader because they can go get jobs somewhere else. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. You know, I love the way you phrase that because it's, it's as you as a, as a leader and a CEO, you're looking at it as, wow, they believe in me. I owe mm-hmm. them. I'm going to do everything I can to make this a kick-ass place to work because they've made the decision to, to be with me for whatever reason. That's a great way to look exactly. at it. You know, yeah. Where do you think your servant leadership mindset came from? Um, obviously, you, you were exposed to a lot of, I think, God, I was 21 and, and seeing, traveling the world and seeing how things work behind the scenes is a great lesson in, in life and leadership. But where did the servant leadership come from? Is that Can you attribute it if you look back to your parents, your upbringing, or did it something that kind of morphed just based on your life experiences in your 20s and, and up till now? Um, I think... I think, you know, it, it probably did start when I was, when I was young. Um, but I also just, you know, at some point became, and maybe it was when I, I started my journey in entrepreneurship in 2008, um, (laughs) which is, which is much like right now. Yeah. Perfect time to start Um, a business, right? In the worst recession in, in, well, Mark Cuban even said, I saw an article this morning before I talked to you that he said, this is the best time to start a business. So. Oh, it, exactly. And, you know, we were, we ended up being really successful, but I think, you know, I, um, I purchased this clothing store with, uh, with my mother. Um, and it was just me working it. I couldn't afford to hire anybody. I had to, um, I had to go out and I really had to hustle and I had to be creative. And I, um, you know, from my experience at Gap and having to put out fires all the time, I learned how to pivot really quickly. Yeah. Um, and so that's what made my store successful in such a hard time. Um, but I also had to lean on interns and people who were just excited about what we were doing, um, who weren't getting paid at all. Right. And, um, finally we got to a place where we could pay people, but I think that that's when I really started having gratitude for people because there was literally 
zero reason for them to be hanging out and in my store. They weren't getting paid. There was nothing in it for them other than the fact that they enjoyed being around. Right. Right. Um, so how can I show appreciation for them? And I've just carried that all the way through and even, um, you know, sitting on boards and, you know, working with other groups, having gratitude for, for the people that, that have hitched their wagon to you is in, you know, it's, it's invaluable. And I think that the business owners or the CEOs or the leaders that don't have that gratitude and that think that there's only one way to do things and, and that's their way, they're going to fail eventually. Yeah. Um, You know, I love, I love that. I mean, I, I've talked to tons of entrepreneurs and, and, um, at some point, and you just hit on it at some point, if you're going to sustain this business and this journey, and, uh, particularly if you're starting something from scratch, like you said, you were, mm-hmm. and you're wearing, you're wearing every hat, you're doing everything. At some point, there's always a transition or, or an awakening, I guess is the best way to put it, where you realize, oh, I need to learn how to become a leader. Now, you may not say that that explicitly in, in your mind, but something every entrepreneur I've talked to that has been successful and sustained the business, they realize, oh, there's more to this entrepreneurship game than just, you know, location, marketing, product, processes. Yeah. It's a people game of leadership. And the fact that you had interns that were volunteering, you know, and, and you're seeing that. I mean, that's to me, I, I'm kind of, in my mind, that was kind of the moment you're like, oh, wait, yeah. you know what I mean? There's more to this entrepreneurship game than just, you know, what everybody thinks it is. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know anything. And my husband would kill me if, I mean, he, he's heard me say this before, but I don't know anything about phones, right? right? I know that my phone works. I know that you need phones to do business. I know that, you know, now's, Now's the time for, for our business to really grow and thrive because of all the remote working and, and things like that. But every person that works for me knows much more than I do. Right. Right. It's my responsibility to make their jobs easy. It's my responsibility to give them the tools that they need and to help them develop a roadmap for growth. Right. And you know, it doesn't do me any good to micromanage them or put um, frivolous processes and procedures in their way because that's just my need for control and they're not going to grow and they're not going to thrive, you know? So I think that, that trust is huge. You get the right people on the bus and, you know, get out of their way and let them go and let them do their thing. And you just give them the tools they need. Amen. Absolutely. There's a saying we have in the aviation community. It's like, you know, what makes a successful aviator or successful captain or aircraft commander is, you know, there's no egos in the cockpit. Mm -hmm. And I love that philosophy. And it still surprises me when I see um, dysfunctions in organizations and businesses and invariably what's at stake is, is an, is an somebody's ego always. Right. And the more that you can have an egoless 
And it, it, that's the, the battle of being a human, right? I mean, everything, what I said about the yeah. authenticity, transparency, and, and courage piece, what gets in the way and why we suck at it is because the ego gets in the way every single time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I love that you see in, that you see the value in running an egoless organization, right? Because that's the way trust builds and that's where you get the best answers. And yeah, I, I love what you said. Yeah. Well, and I think realizing too that, you know, I'm not the best leader out there. If you think that you're an awesome leader, then you probably suck as a leader. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly right. There's another thing in aviation, like if I have to remind you that I'm a captain, I'm not a very good captain. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like to say that I am the most non-essential person day to day in our business. Um, you know, because I, I'm not the one out there doing the hard work. I'm not the one, I only deal with customers when there's a huge issue, right? I make sure that everyone has what they need. I make sure that our financials are strong. Our cash flow is good. You know, that our, our strategy is there. And then I trust my team to run with that strategy. And I just gently guide, um, with, with my knowledge. And that's, so. yeah, that's the ideal that's what leadership is. I think it's, and a lot of people miss this, miss this point. It's, it's kind of like I said, it's your job to make yourself useless. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody says, well, what's the point of that? And I mean, in reality, you're not, because the more, right. the more that you make yourself, and I'm using air quotes, useless, you become more mm-hmm. useful, you become useful to the company. You become irreplaceable for the company, if that makes sense. Maybe that's the wrong way yeah. to irreplaceable, but you, you, increase your influence and worth by making yourself useless. And it's a dichotomy, but it's the only way to sustain and and grow a company. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, that's my big thing is, you know, um, it takes a lot of work to get, it takes a lot of work to get to that point. People, you know, it's, it's constant work to get, to make yourself useless. Right. Yeah. And I strive to be useless. I mean, I really do. I don't (laughs) like being busy. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, it's interesting. I, um, I work with an organization and I, I did an an interview with them and they said, and one, I hate this. I hate this question. This is the stupidest question. I understand what it's trying to get at, but, um, I just think it's, it's juvenile. And they said, what's your, what's your superpower? Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, my answer was my superpower is my ability to say no and be okay with saying no. Yeah. And the feedback that I got from that answer, they were like, well, you know, how, how can you say no? And I said, well, my time is precious. Right. Mm -hmm. So if, if it doesn't serve me, I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And to me, it's not, being busy and having no time is not a status thing. And, um, where I want to spend my time is I really want to spend my time on, on my business. Because as you said, you know, there's, I have 15 families that depend on me, you know, right. I, I, I have to make payroll and I got to send kids to baseball camp and, and dance and all this, you know, swim and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I want to spend my time. And, you know, then I have, I have two boys of my own and I have things that I like to do as well. And, um, 
it's that work-life balance. And that's what we encourage at Towner Communications as well as work-life balance. I love it. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I love, I love your, it's always funny when I have these conversations that, and how, when you, we talk about it in this way, it's just, it's just like, what other way is there to do it? But the reality is so many other people and businesses run their lives completely counter to what we just talked about. And it's yeah. a, it's a fight and a struggle. I'm not saying I got it all figured out too, but I always have to remind myself, you know, not to let my ego or my own personal, um, I don't know, desires outweigh the outcome of who I'm trying to serve. Right. And right. it's kind of like if you're trying to be an inf- a person of influence or a leader of influence, I think a lot of times we think there's, there's a direct hit people over the whip, head with a wiffle bat approach thinking you mm-hmm. will because I am, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reality is the more that you you – sacrifice and serve and sacrifice sometimes i don't know if sacrifice is the right word because are you really sacrificing because the more that you serve without expecting anything in return all that stuff you're chasing directly all those buckets get filled overflowing right Mm -hmm. they they become it that's where the abundance comes from i guess it comes from that servant mindset and so i don't really know if it's sacrificing but i guess i can't think of another way to describe it you know it's kind of like if you if you show up you know the, the marine corps asp adage was you show up to the field and you didn't bring your sleeping bag well mm-hmm. i'm the one that goes without i give yeah. you my sleeping bag and you think well i'm sacrificing i don't got a sleeping bag but that will pay huge dividends to you you know how are you going to look at me now and how loyal are you going to be to me because I gave you my sleeping, right? And you probably exactly. will, you will never do that again. You will never forget your sleeping bag again. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. It, it's interesting. And it's interesting, um, you know, being a, and I always hate to bring this up because I, feel, I just feel like it's very cliche, but I think it's interesting to be a uh, female at, in, at the sea level, um, especially in, in a small business, because I feel like, at least from what I see um, and in the circles that I'm involved in, I feel like women put this undue pressure on themselves and they, you know, can't have it all. They can't run a successful business and they can't have kids and they can't do this and blah, 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 blah. And I just have never, nobody ever told me I couldn't. So that's never been in my vocabulary. And, um, I, I just find it really bizarre that this pressure that women put on themselves, um, I think is really undue stress. And I sometimes feel bad because I don't have that. Well, <laughs> like, wait, what am, what am I doing yeah. wrong? Because I feel like I can have it all, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it's just, um, well, I think yeah, people buy into kind of, I mean, we, we, it's just buying into, you know, kind of stereotypes that, yeah. and if you just, and, and if you refuse to accept them, you just kind of live life. You just do. And I don't, I don't look at it as a work-life balance. I look at things as priorities and, and it's like, why do you got to buy into this myth of like, well, you can't have, and is it about having it all? It's about living a life that you choose. It's about living a life where your priorities are, are, are correct and right. that you, def, that you define. And it's like, 
well, this is how we do life, you know? And yeah, I mm-hmm. don't buy into that. I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't buy into those old kind of stereotypes and, and, you know, and I got four daughters and I'm, I try to say the same thing. And, and, and I've talked to a lot of women leaders on here and some of the best leaders I've ever worked for were women. Some mm-hmm. of the worst leaders I've ever worked for were women. And when yeah. I say that the worst leaders that the, the, when I look at the, the two, like what was the, the difference between, and I do think, I think, and I tell this to my daughters all the time. I do think women have an edge on being better leaders than men in a lot of aspects. And I know that mm-hmm. may sound stereotypical and on the, and on the, but I do think the transparency, the authenticity, the the emotional quotient piece, which I think just women inherently are better at than men. And I don't know how much of that's genetic and how much of it's just been society handed down over the generations, you know what I yeah. mean, in the t- typical roles. But I do think women have a tremendous amount of influence and power if they're willing to embrace it. And it doesn't mean, this is where, I, when I look at the the women who I, I work at were nightmares, they were trying to be something that they weren't. They were trying to be quote unquote, just like the men, because this is what it means to succeed. And I just don't buy into that trash. I just don't buy into yeah. it. I think if you just be a human being and embrace your strengths for whatever they are and just lead and, and say, you know, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense? I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah, it's, you know, there, there's oftentimes when I hear some of my friends talk and they're, you know, frazzled and, you know, constantly busy and don't have any time. And I'm like, what, it, honestly, can someone tell me what I'm doing wrong? Because I have time. I'm not easily frazzled. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what Am I not, am I not okay? Like what, what's happening to me? <laughs> right. Right. But I think it's, you know, um, I also, I, I just will not fail. Right. Yeah, so I'm going right. to do whatever it takes. And if that means, you know, putting, putting my team ahead of myself, which is, that's what it means, you know, or if, or if that means having to say no, I'm going to say no, because if it's just like being a parent, right. If you don't take care of yourself, how can you take care of other people? Exactly. Um, and that, that's how I, I lead my team as well. Um, I mean, we take mental health days all the time, you know, at, at work. And it's, it's important for people to realize that work is a necessity for, you know, the vast majority of us. Um, we should enjoy it and it should be, uh, it should be something that, you know, we're excited to get up and we're excited to see each other every day. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to have bad days because we're definitely going to have bad days. But um, why do we have to make things harder than they really are? Right. Well, and I think I think some leaders do that. Well, of course they do, and we've all done it. And and I can tell you that it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Where the dysfunction comes in, there's usually ego at play, right? There's yeah. some sort of insecurity or some sort of something that that brings it to the forefront. You said a lot of great things. I mean, I, I, it's almost every single conversation I have it invariably gets to. And I, in it, the first time I read about this concept was in uh, Jim Collins' Good Great years ago. Uh-huh. But he wrote that chapter on Level Five Leadership, which, if you read the book, he didn't even he didn't even when he set out to write the book, he didn't think he was going to be writing about leadership. But he said that that 
kept cropping up time and time again, this kind of concept of these unique organizations with unique leaders. And, and I strive for this and I can't tell you how many times this comes up in these conversations, but the sweet spot, and it sounds like this is the type of leader that you are, is that you have this humble, teachable spirit side of you, mm-hmm. but you also have this intensity of will. And you said it like, I just, I'm not going to fail. And yeah. so I think you can, and I, sometimes I think people on the surface, they don't think those two worlds can exist. And in a lot of examples in leadership that we see that they don't, I mean, look at the political leadership and usually it's just intensity of will. There's not a humble teachable mm-hmm. spirit there, right? Yeah. And certainly when you look at presidential politics, I mean, I think that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a huge intensity of will and not much else, right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you've got the humble teachable spirit side. And if that's all you're focused on, well, maybe you're a monk and maybe you're leading a great mm-hmm. life, right? And there's nothing, again, nothing against monks, but, and maybe, but maybe, maybe monks not right. Cause maybe there's an intensity of will inside that, you know, constant meditation. Yeah. But, but you know, see what I'm saying? If I'm, all I'm doing is I'm a humble teachable spirit. Well, you're just kind of a student, right? Or something, but you combine right. the two and where that Venn diagram intersects, that intensity of will and the humble teachable spirit, that's to me, I think is how life is supposed to be, be lived because that's yeah. where the, the significance of life comes, comes from that. I think, you know, that's where the, cre- know, the creation comes and everything else. Go ahead. You, well, you have to have, I mean, you have to have a certain amount of moxie, right? You right. have to, you have to have, you, you know, I think that there's a difference between being extremely confident and then having ego. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that the ego is very naive. I think I'm confident because of my experiences and, you know, this is a time everyone's like, Oh, you know, this is, this is the worst time to be in business and this is awful. And we're all, you know, I am very calm right now because I have dealt with 2008 and I, I look at these times as a huge opportunity to innovate and to, to take your piece of the market and, you know, to, to really attack and to hone your strategy. And if you're not doing that, then yes, you will fail. Um, but the ability to pivot during these times is great. Um, I love that you brought that up because I think you're right. It's, it's about, when you put the new set of glasses on or you've already had them on, I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because I'm surrounded by people like yourself. I'm constantly talking to people like you. I'm too, I'm not panicky about the situation. I'm, I'm anxious to get things going again, but yeah. I see a ton of opportunity at the same time. And, yeah. and it may not. And I, and I see on these pilot boards and pilots are the worst. I mean, I can't be friends with <laughs> These guys are just doom and gloom. There's a ton of them and they're just doom Mm -hmm. and gloom and this and that. And things aren't working out like they used to. And I'm like, look, it may not work out like the, like you originally planned, but how do you know that this, this may not lead to something even better than you even thought? And that's how I look at it because that furlough in 2001, when I thought my whole life was over, that ended up being a blessing in disguise. I wouldn't be talking to you, having my own podcast. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have tapped in my entrepreneurial skills. I, I, you know, and I earned more money than those guys that didn't get furloughed. 
you know, yeah. during that time I was for, and so it's a, you just have to, like you said, have to learn how to pivot. You have to learn how to just, okay, this, this wasn't in my plan, but when is, when, when yeah. has life ever gone the way that you want? You know, it never goes out. But if you, if you have those glasses on, like you talked about, it may end up being your best decade yet. You don't know. Yeah. Well, and you know what, this is going to happen again. Yeah. I mean, maybe not a pandemic, but Something. This is going to happen again. And if you don't have the stomach for this sort of stuff, then you need to, to figure out what else to do with your, your career, because this is what we signed up for. This is what leaders and, you know, it's just, again, it's just like being a parent, you know? Yeah. We signed up for the good times, but when we really need to lead is when stuff sucks. That's right. You know? <laughs> that gives lead the way I look at it is this this gives leaders job security. This is why we have leaders in the first place. That's how yeah. I look at it. And if like I said, if you're if you're just wanting to be a fair weather pilot, well, you know. And it's like yeah. it's that's why, you know, in, in professional aviation, like we sit there and we talk, you know, ninety eight percent of the time it's just sheer boredom because of the automation. But mm-hmm. every now and then there's a time that you get called up. And it's, you know, the weather's down to minimums and a driving rain. And this is what you're called to do. And I love those moments. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's bring it on. This is what I get paid to do. And and that's how you got to look at it. No, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. I mean, anyone can run a business and can can lead a business in the best times. Anybody can do that. You know, not everyone can do it now. And this is, this is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. And, you know, it's been interesting for me because I have seen our competitors, our local competitors, they have furloughed, they have laid people off, they have shut their door. I'm getting all of their business because right now is, I mean, everyone needs communication right now. Right. Everyone's working from home, you know, the restaurants are all going online and they need us. And I mean, this is our time to shine. And I'm confused why our competitors have shut their doors. Yeah. You know, cause we're busier, we're busier than ever. Um, now is all that translating into, into money? Not necessarily, but it's translating into goodwill and partnership. Yeah. Who knows where that's going to lead, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, you know, you just, you have to have, um, you have to have a healthy amount of, uh, lack of fear. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it's not lack of fear. It's courage. I mean, because yeah. there's, there's fear in there and it's acting and, and the difference meaning is the, the ability to still do the right thing despite the fear that you're feeling. Right. And, and, yeah. and, to, and to use that fear as a barometer on what you should be doing. That's how I look right. at it. Like if you something is okay, I need to work through this and point. Okay, this is what I need to do, and that's where the significance happens on the other side. Nah, yeah, I love it. You got it. Well, I'm looking at the clock. We've been talking almost an hour here, and which is oh man, amazing. But um, man, oh, I could talk to you forever. I do have a a hard <laughs> a hard meeting I got to get to here in the next few minutes, so I'm gonna have to wrap this up. I I, I really appreciate everything you said. How can people get learn more about Towner Communications and get in touch with you and, and how can how can people reach out to you? Um, our website is townerkc.com. Um, you can I'm I'm easiestly reached on LinkedIn. Um, or you can email me, jtowner at townerkc.com. 
Um, I, I always love to have chats. So, well, I appreciate everything you said. You said a lot of of, of great leadership and entrepreneurial nuggets that we can all benefit from. Uh, I just think you're doing great things. You're the type of leader I would want to work for. I'm, I'm proud to bring you into the Dose of Leadership Circle, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and chat with Thank me. Thank you. Thank you. It was fun. See ya. All right. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.